At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Friday, October 28th. Welcome to the Just Baseball Show. I'm Peter Apple. That's Arm Layton. And Jack McMullen is fired. He's done from the Just Baseball Show. Just wasn't cutting it. Wasn't using the little X in front of his numbers. Just giving us bad predictions over and over again. Just kidding. He'll be back. That was a small joke. Hopefully he's doing Jack ball is state listening. stuff yeah, right now. Just announcing Ball State. Shout out Manscaped. Use code 20%. Yeah. For Just Baseball. But this is the MLB first team brought to you by just baseball you're gonna see mlb come out with theirs you're gonna see a bunch of publications but you know that these are the real answers to the test this is the answer right arm isn't it yeah the answer? of course of course yeah. no, no one else matters only our first mlb team here which i actually we just flushed it out we tried to poke a hole in in each of them and I mean, we'll, we'll talk about some of the more sticking point ones that were a little bit more debatable, but I feel really good about this one. There's none that I'm like, eh, I don't know. Like we we were all kind of in agreement on this. And that's why Jack was fired because he gave us this rough draft and then we went through and we poked as many holes as possible. And we had to remove some guys because we will talk about how close some people were. But normally, you know, we do a lot of honorable mentions and we will mention a couple of guys, but if you weren't good enough, Tough luck. This is the MLB first team. If if your favorite player wasn't mentioned, sorry, wasn't good enough. Bad players, right? Yeah, if you're not first team, well, why are you even playing baseball, right? Uh, now, that's the crazy thing. Though. I do want to highlight one thing is the talent in Major League Baseball. It's cliche. We say it a lot. But like, holy crap. When you really have to pick a first team and you just see all of the guys that had ridiculous years, all of these young guys that had crazy years that maybe don't crack the first team, but are going to probably crack one of our first teams as, as we do this through the years. Uh, baseball is in a really good spot with this young talent. And, you know, this is a nice list that's kind of mixed up with young guys and vets, but honestly more vets than I thought on this list uh, on the offensive side of things, on the pitching side, you got a lot of youth and, and hitters are kind of screwed for a while. I think with, with some of these young arms. Yeah, two guys, um, one in each league that were definitely considered for this, Hula Rodriguez on the Seattle Mariners and Michael Harris on the Atlanta Braves. These were two of the better center fielders in all of baseball, regardless of how many years that you've been in the league. And I'm sure that if Adley Rutschman had played a full 162, we might be considering yeah. him for the top catcher in baseball. Like the youth movement is incredible. I have a question for you before we get started. I'm going to put you on the spot because I love uh, doing that. Just like Jack it. does to me. What Jack does, he's like, I'm going to tee you up for something and then presses the record button. And I'm like, but I like to do the opposite. 
So I don't get bullied. You get bullied, but it's always yep. going to be prospects. <laughs> who is a prospect like a Julio Rodriguez, like a Michael Harris, who dif- didn't make the first team, but who do you see next year as a guy who you think could compete for a level as high as this? Uh, that has played in the big leagues so far or, or hasn't at all? This will be their rookie year. And remember, this is also something that, never happens it didn't even happen this year but who are just a couple of guys who you think if everything goes right with how talented they are like it happened for julio like it happened for michael harris that they could be considered in this type of conversation i mean if grayson rodriguez is 100 percent healthy i really see him as a guy i mean right-handed pitching prospect with the orioles he's a guy that i think hits the ground running like he's gonna carve from from the jump um and then I would say Corbin Carroll. Of course, he's our number one prospect. But Grayson Rodriguez, I think that guy's going to be an ace, like from from like right away. Um, so that's my first team guy. I we're looking at the pitchers, and when we go through them, it's one old man and then a lot of really young dudes. I, I think that that's the one position that kind of translates. If you got it as a pitcher, you got it. And Grayson Rodriguez has got it. That's phenomenal. And I'm also Corbin Carroll. We saw him play a little bit with the Diamondbacks, but he will get rookie eligibility next year, right? Uh, yes. If he plays a full season, which he should, yes. he he could be rookie of the year in the National League. Easily. Perfect. All right. Let's start on the pitching side and then work our way up to the hitters. We'll just go back and forth because we have three relief pitchers, five starting pitchers. So that's eight spots. And we'll start from the bottom to the top, and then we'll get into the offense. So the first reliever who I really want to talk about right now is Ryan Helsley on the St. Louis Cardinals. I mean, it's hard to throw harder than Ryan Helsley does on a day-in and day-out basis. This guy who's averaging over 100 miles an hour with the fastball. I mean, Arm, he was – I'm just pulling up his stats right now. Of course, I go to Ryan Helsley, and it goes to Ryan Stanek, who was (laughs) – Also really good. (laughs) <laughs> really good. Also surprising. really, really good. Um, shoot. Now it just took me to Ryan Presley, who was also <laughs> really, really nasty and has been great through the postseason as well. Uh, but no, I mean, Helsley's been was insane. I, I know we had that little postseason blow up uh, in an outing where he obviously didn't look physically right. I don't know what what the deal was there. Um, but, you know, we're talking about the regular season here. And then that's important because a couple of the guys that we are going to highlight didn't have great postseasons, which is the irony of it, including one of his teammates. But I mean, Helsley was downright unhittable with the fastball slider combination. Basically, averaged 100 miles an hour on the fastball, averaged 90 miles an hour on the slider, and both of which were downright unhittable when he threw it anywhere remotely near the zone. Uh, this guy was was right up there with. We're going to get to him in a second, but right up there with Edwin Diaz as one of the most dominant swing and miss relievers in the game. And it was really fun to watch when he was on. I finally pulled up his stats. It took me like four hours because my computer is about to just blow up from all the heat from Ryan Helsley's throwing. Pun intended. Not very funny, but we'll continue. One, two, five ERA for Helsley. 94 strikeouts and 64 innings to give him a 0.74 whip. The dude struck out nearly of hitters mostly relying on that four seam and that slider, like you said, but I mean, 99.6 average on the fastball. He, and that's, I mean, in 2021, this is a guy who just saw a huge velo tick up 97.4 in 2021. And then just hit the scene. And he, he was as high as one Oh four in spots. I mean, the Cardinals, the Cardinals bullpen was great. Giovanni Gallegos, other guys like that. 
but it really started with Ryan Helsley as the second best closer in the National League. So once you get into the best closer in the National League. I mean, yeah, Edwin Diaz was was just ridiculous this season. And, and, and you, you got the trumpets, semi-trumpets and all that good stuff. And that was really fun and adds to the show and the allure and all that. But realistically, the show was when Edwin Diaz stepped on the mound because when he was up there, it, it really seemed like he, he was that – 15-year-old kid pitching against 12-year-olds in Little League with the way that he was able to make experienced veteran hitters look so uncomfortable. The slider's got to be one of the best we've really ever seen Uh, when it's even remotely near the zone. He threw the slider more than any other pitch, really. He's a slider fastball as well, as most of these guys are. But threw for a strike more than 70% of the time. That's what's so amazing to me. That's been the key for Edwin Diaz, right? Throwing anything near the zone because if it's around the zone guys are going to whiff it and that's what really stood out to me this guy was throwing strikes this year with his caliber of stuff you don't have a chance you had absolutely no chance and if i'm not mistaken he's one of the league leaders in saves as well edwin diaz of the mets i mean it was hard to get nasty timmy trumpets you mentioned it yourself i mean that took the league by storm at least in the beginning of the year but i believe Arm, I truly believe this, that Emmanuel Class A was the best overall reliever in baseball last year. And, you know, he has a 1-3-6 ERA. The numbers are so close in that aspect. Like, Edwin Diaz had more strikeouts, so that's something that you could give to Diaz and say, all right, this guy was was better because he striked out more guys, and that's kind of the job of the reliever, right? He had more explosive stuff. But when I look on a per-pitch basis, right, because both guys are two-pitch guys, with Edwin Diaz, you you are fastball slider. And against the slider, nobody could touch it. Opponents hit around 100 against the slider. It was, might have been the best overall pitch in the sport. But then with Emmanuel, but then for Edwin Diaz, opponents hit 266 off his fastball, yeah. right? So if we're looking at the best two pitches possible, then you go over to Emmanuel Class A, where opponents hit 189 against the cutter, which he threw 60% of the time at 100 miles an hour. It averaged 99.5 miles an hour. He could put it wherever he wants with pinpoint accuracy. You look at the heat maps. It's all in the same place. You could throw it in middle and you wouldn't even touch it. But then the slider, opponents hit 119 against the pitch. It was actually a mile per hour faster And he still threw it 38% of the time. So if I'm thinking about these two guys who were just unbelievable, Edwin Diaz's slider was so much more nasty, I guess, where it produced more whiffs. But if we're talking about just limiting damage and the best two pitches possible by how the opponents hit against it, I'm taking Emmanuel Class A's cutter and slider over Edwin Diaz's fastball and slider. What do you think about that? I, I think that's that's totally fair, and I think you're on to it. The thing with Diaz is the slider was so outrageously good yeah. that it almost made the fastball not matter as much, but he did throw it 42% of the time, and you know, that was kind of what did him in in the past, right, was, was the home runs off of that fastball. Guys would cheat for it and hit it. 
The craziest part about Diaz's slider is that you actually had, you talk about it being one of the best pitchers in the sport, period. 30% swinging strike rate on that pitch. I don't know if I've ever seen that on a pitch that's been thrown at least 500 times. I know we're talking about ERA specifically. And like when we talk about everything that that these guys have done, we're throwing away a lot of the expected stats and even fit because we want to talk about what they did. However, I do want to just highlight how stupid Edwin Diaz's second half was. Um, Because I do agree with everything you said, by the way. But 0.48 FIP from Edwin Diaz in the second half. Again, another one of those things that I don't know if I've ever seen that. I think moving forward for the reasons that you said, Class A is more sustainably good. And I think he's going to be more consistent than Diaz. But I think what we got in this season alone Diaz was the most dominant closer, in my opinion. I think that's fair. Um, another thing, too, about Emmanuel Class A is you said it yourself about the fastball that they could possibly hit it in the air. Um, I mean, Class A had a 64.5% ground ball rate mm-hmm. compared to Edwin Diaz at 47. He doesn't make mistakes. It's not He's not going to get burned like like Diaz can when he's not right, which that's is what what's saying. amazing about him. Like You could throw it in harder, and guys can hit it out harder when with Class A, it's so impossible to lift the ball. Yeah. And we saw the dominance with the Mariano Rivera cutter going at 92. Yeah, I say throws it a hundred miles an hour, and and it it's like a, it's a gyro cutter, so it it drops downwards, so you're not lifting that shit. You know, it's it's not one of those that's sweeping across the zone. It's breaking downwards a lot of the time, which you, you have no way of squaring that thing up. Uh, those guys re- are miserable. Those guys are miserable at bats. Miserable. The reason I wanted to talk about the individual pitches too is because. Diaz had a one three one ERA and Class A had a one three six. So it's like none of these guys were allowing runs ever. But like, what's better, right? Is it a strikeout or a weak ground out to the second baseman? Yeah, like it's cooler from <laughs> Diaz, and he did have a lower ERA. But I just, I guess it's watching Class A's cutter, thinking to myself, that looks like the most unhittable pitch. But at the same time, Diaz is slider. I, mean, I just can't believe that Diaz landed a slider for a strike 71% of the time. Yeah. Like with how much that pitch breaks, I have no idea how he did that. I mean, it's incredible. I was finally found a way to command that pitch. Again, I think long-term class A is going to be more consistent, but what we saw from Diaz this year alone, and I know we have an article on our website from Brian Wright about it. Uh, one of the most dominating or dominant class A too, but Diaz specifically one of the most dominant reliever seasons we've ever seen. Now we're breaking into our top five pitchers again. We'll work from bottom to top. And the fifth guy in our rotation, again, another young guy, Alec Manoa of the Toronto Blue Jays. Remember the first rounder in 2019? He is only 24 years old, but had a top five pitching season in Major League Baseball. Remember, we could look at FIP. We could look at a lot of F4 stats. Um, I mean, F4 is is in and of itself like we could use that. But really, this is how well you performed. We can use the XFIP and the FIP and the XERA in order to project future success. And we'll do that as we do the preseason stuff next year. But um, this yeah. is the best season by your production. And Alec Manoa had a 2-2-4 ERA in 197 innings. Like that is incredible. The amount of length the Blue Jays got out of Alec Manoa, the amount of dominance they got out of this guy every fifth day, you knew he could take the mound. And, you know, I think when Alec Manoa really became a mainstay was in the all-star game, right? Where I think he just, 
there was always, you know, I don't know how many people in America are watching Blue Jays games consistently. Yeah. I know I've watched plenty of them as a Yankee fan watching Alec Manoa day in and day out dominate the Yankees and dominate the rest of the AL East. But I think being in the All-Star game, showing that dominance against the best hitters in the world and doing so well at it really put him on another stage where this is not just a young pitcher to be excited about anymore. This guy is here and he's already one of the best pitchers in the sport. No, it's funny, man, because Manoa was a guy like Virginia, and I I just couldn't understand why he didn't get more prospect hype. And they fast-tracked him, you know, drafted in 2019, and fast-tracked him to AAA uh, after the COVID season when he was working with the team and, you know, the alternate training site in 2020. And after 18 innings in AAA, they're like, all right, he's big league ready. And, and we saw a lot of really good things from Manoa last year, but it seemed like he just put it all together this year. And, and he's somebody that I don't, I don't know if the – the FIP and the XERA and the underlying stats are going to like as much because similar to one of the other two in this list, pitching wise, great to do that. He'll get the strikeouts when he needs them and he'll rack up a lot of those addings where he's got eight, nine, 10 Ks. But the way that Manoa is able to compile innings and be successful and just continue to churn out six, seven inning outings, quality start after quality start is the stuff he throws runs. It induces weak contact. He doesn't give up a lot of home runs. And he is able to pitch to contact early in counts, helps him get deep into games. It's not going to be the prettiest profile and all the expected stats, but you know what? I'll take 196 and two thirds innings at a two, two, four ERA any day of the week, even if it inflates a little bit next season, what he did this year, pure production wise was up there with anybody. Uh, and he was a big reason why the blue Jays were able to stay afloat this year. And just on a, on his pitches again, I want to talk about it because the four seam he threw 36% of the time and, 211 opponent batting average the slider 190 opponent batting average through that pitch 27 percent of the time through the sinker a lot to both sides of the plate average 93.3 miles an hour 225 opponent batting average and then the changeup, which he mixed in 11 percent of the time 145 opponent batting average not one of the pitches anyone hit above no. a 230 it's just no. incredible what manoa was able to do there were some guys that we definitely considered in this like rodon i thought had a great season aaron nola of course you know with the innings and the expected stats point to him even having a better year but philly defense didn't help him out too much so a yeah. 325 is just a full run higher than alec manoa do, do we maybe think that aaron nola might be a better pitcher sure but did he produce yeah. like alec manoa did this year no no, no, exactly. And I think that's important to highlight, right? Is when we're making the first team from the 2022 season, we can acknowledge that some guys had some balls bounce the wrong way. And, and Nola was easily one of the most valuable pitchers in baseball. But if, from a pure production standpoint, not quite there with Manoa. Uh, but I think you know, those things are to even out for Nola in the postseason. And I think he'll take that. I think he'd rather be there. Number four. <laughs> oh, no. I mean, number four is... Somebody that made the big, just the biggest leap imaginable, I think, this year is Dylan Cease, a right-handed pitcher with the White Sox. And Cease finally put it together command-wise. Like, he's never going to be a guy that has great command. But if he can keep the walk somewhat in check like he did this year, we'll get to see how dominant he can be. A 2.2 ERA this season, 184 innings. He struck out more than 11 per nine. And this year walked less than four. It was a 3.82 walk per nine. That's not great. Good enough when you are going to strand batters or strand base runners the way that Dylan Cease does. His stuff is silly. The command has come along. He can dominate you in so many different ways. And talk about a guy that can rack up strikeouts in bunches. 
He's the dude that can walk the bases loaded and then strike out the next three. Like you're never going to panic. And oh yeah, he's 26 years old. He threw his slider more than his fastball this year. And it didn't even matter because of the way that he can dominate with that slider and the way he was finally able to locate that pitch, which we didn't see as much in the past. This guy's going to be a problem for the foreseeable future. I think Dylan Cease's slider was the best pitch from a starting pitcher this year. Through 43% of the time, opponents hit 128 against it. He threw it 1,338 times, 12 extra base hits. Like 43.3% whiff rate. I mean, does it get better? And and again, like throwing it a lot. It's one thing to have a great yes. a great breaking ball with crazy numbers that you throw fifteen percent of the time. He's throwing this more than his fastball and his dominating pitch. and landing it for a strike sixty five percent of the time. That that's what stands out to me. Also, it's so sharp and such a good offering with late bite that it works on lefties too, right? So he's throwing that back legging lefties. Which is just such that's the the telltale sign of a phenomenal slider is if you can back leg lefties with it and then of course sweep away from righties. It's just silly. Our number three guy has an argument for the National League Cy Young if we're looking at on a per inning basis, but the two guys above him just threw more innings and were more valuable to their team. So that's where Julio Arias of the Los Angeles Dodgers checks in as our third best starting pitcher, 175 innings, 2-1-6 ERA. Dude, I mean, Julio Arias at this point in his career, he is now 26 years old, but I feel like he's been in baseball for a decade. Forever. And I remember we were talking about at the beginning of the season with knowing that, thinking to myself, could Arias be due for maybe an injury-laden season? I would never hope that, but just I was like, look at all the innings he was he was throwing. And then we talked about it. I was like, dude, he's 25. Yeah, He's just been in the league now for so long. If we're looking at the four seam, nobody could touch it. 189 opponent batting average. He's not like a, you know, he he did drop in velo a little bit, but opponents were actually worse off the fastball this year than they were last year, even throwing 93 compared to 94 last year. His curveball, again, is one of the prettiest in the sport. Definitely probably talked to Clayton Kershaw on a bullpen session or four. And then I mean, the changeup also that he just primarily throws to righties. Righties couldn't touch it. Um, there was a lot of right-handed stacked lineups against him because lefties just simply had no chance against him. If we're looking just at how lefties performed, I mean, dude, <laughs> zero seven three whip. They had 23 hits all year in 35 innings. I just lefties couldn't touch him. So you put in all your righties and the righties couldn't touch him either. It's one of the best seasons in Major League Baseball. What's amazing about basketball and, and how he dominates with that pitch in, in the 93 to, you know, 92 to 94 range, you know, whole occasionally you talk about the velo not quite being where it was in the past. Just, just having that life on it from a low release point and and that that vertical break we always talk about where the ball looks like it's taken off. He's king of that. And then tunneling off of that is the curveball, which is a hammer. You talk about how pretty it is. Clayton Kershaw-esque. You got a fastball riding a curveball that at a certain point looks like it's that fastball riding upwards and snaps downwards. And then, oh, yeah, by the way, got a changeup as well, which he mixes in and keeps right-handed hitters at bay. That's why you have no shot if you're ball curveball combination and the changeup's good enough to keep righties in check and opponents bear 
around the Mendoza line against him for a reason. My only detraction, and and he it's not his fault, but the only thing is you know, the doctors, that's what they do, right? They they that they don't stretch you out. He seems like the type of pitcher that could go deep into ball games with the way he pounds his zone, the way he mixes in three pitches, uh, the way he limits weak contact or, or maximizes his weak contact, limits damage. But we we didn't really see him stretched out much. Barely went over 100 pitches. I think that's to manage injuries, like you mentioned, like you alluded to. And you can only do what they allow you to do. And when he was on the mound, he was as dominant as anybody. And it's not like he threw 150 innings, right? No, 175 is still very good. It's Great. about, you know, it's 25 less than, you know, that 200. And to your point about, like, spin, I mean, this guy, he might not have the velo there, but he's in the 97th percentile in spin rate on that fastball. So that 93 probably looks more like 96. And then how about, the 90, how about the 94th percentile in curveball spin, too? I mean, this no. guy's just spinning the baseball. I can promise that fastball looks way harder than it is, uh, okay. which you take the velo dip if, if it has that kind of shape to it. Yeah. I mean, I'd rather 93 with the 97th percentile and spin than 95 and it's not spinning as much. One looks harder <laughs> than the other and one exactly. is better and it's, it, it's proven. So how about number two? Man, what a year it was for Justin Lander. 39 years old and he's on his way to winning another Cy Young award. I mean, a one seven right and also 175 innings missed a couple starts with injury but 18 and 4 i know we don't care about records but anytime i see 18 and 4 cool i know it's the astros and you just turned out quality starts and that obviously helps but what has been really cool to see with somebody like verlanders obviously the stuff's still there after two tommy john surgeries but the command is so good this so guy good. barely walked anybody we're talking about a walk rate of 4.4% this year while striking out 28% of batters when you've got a 23.5% K to BV rate. I mean, that's just ridiculous to see him bounce back and do what he did this year has been so fun. Uh, hopefully he continues to perform when we get to see him in the world series in the coming days, but at 39 years old to do what he has done this year, and we know he's a first ballot hall of famer, but this guy's far from done. Uh, it's going to be a while before we see him get inducted in Cooperstown because I don't see him retiring for another year or two. If that, and then he's got to wait five more years after that. But I mean, this guy's just compiling to what already has been a phenomenal, phenomenal career. Talking about his pitches again, he doesn't have a Dylan Cease slider. But when you look at how each pitch has performed, you could put both his four seam, which he throws at 95, his slider, his curveball, and his changeup, which he barely really threw the changeup, so I don't put that much stock into it, but he still held opponents to a 167 opponent batting average. But none of his pitches, none were above 200 in the opponent batting average department. Like, each pitch was one of the best in baseball. So we didn't have the Dylan C slider, but his slider was almost as good. His fastball was better. And then he had that curveball, which was just as good, if not better than Dylan C's too. So even at this age, all of his pitches grade as plus, 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 plus. He was, he was unhittable. And he's a big reason why the Astros are here at this moment. All three of those pitches are, are strikeout pitches, but the craziest part is that he commands them all so well. And, and that's why I think, you know, I, I, we, I know we saw he was kind of non-committal about his future, but this dude could pitch another three years, I feel like, if he wanted to. We see Adam Wainwright never had the stuff that Verlander had, but the way that he is able to just outclass people, we're seeing Verlander still with the stuff, now getting better at outclassing hitters as well. 
this guy can age like fine wine if he wants to play long enough. And I mean, how crazy it is to see this kind of season from a 39 year old from a 39 year old. That's just what's so amazing about Verlander is is it's not like, you know, with Adam Wade, right? Maybe now he's 88 and he's really figured out to pitch. Verlander hasn't really had to do that at no. 96, 97 miles an hour. But the best overall pitcher in Major League Baseball this season and the guy that we have leading our first team rotation is Sandy Alcantara with the Miami Marlins. Talk about an innings eater. 228 innings led Major League Baseball with one of the best ERAs on top of that at 2.28. And I think the most remarkable stat about Sandy Alcantara is that he was 14-9 and with the Miami Marlins, who were not very good. 0.98 whip. He's not the biggest strikeout guy in the Mm -hmm. world, you know, but he still logged over 200 strikeouts at 207. But really, Sandy is a pitch to contact guy with electric stuff. Fastball up to 98 miles an hour, that sinker at 98 miles an hour. He uses the changeup more than any other pitch, which is a difference from last year where he was mostly sinker slider changeup. Now he's changeup four seam sinker and then that slider All four pitches came together to give him the best overall season in the National League, best overall season of any pitcher. But I really want to hear from you. What have you seen from Sandy, you know, as a Marlins fan? I mean, man, he gave me a reason to to be excited to watch them every fifth day because we know how brutal it was to watch them a lot of this year. And I mean, Sandy would just take matters into his own hands. You talk about winning 14 games and uh, we always get a lot of flack for talking about like wins and losses and whatever. And I understand the lack of importance of it, but this is an important stat here because of the fact that Sandy, when the bullpen was struggling, took matters into his own hands. When the offense was struggling, took matters into his own hands and literally tried to single-handedly win games. He went six innings or more in 26 of his 32 starts. In today's game, that's literally unheard of. He went eight innings or more I don't even have it in front of me, but but way more times than anybody else. And, and complete games led the league, obviously, very easily. What's so amazing to me about Sandy is the different ways that he can attack you to beyond the conditioning, which he prides himself on. It's he's trying to get you out on the first pitch, right? He wants to make a a pitch look like it's down the middle, dives off the end. You get it off the end of your bat. You ground out one out one pitch. That's what he wants to do. But when he needs to get the strikeouts, you talked about the stuff, Peter. He can get the strikeouts when he wants to. If he's in a jam, you'll see him get those strikeouts. But he prefers early contact, go deep in games, because to him, he'd rather go nine innings than strike out 12 in six. And that was something I talked about with him. And he's like, I'm conditioned to go 130, 140 pitches. They just won't let me, which is the most savage mentality I've ever heard. And I love it. It's hard not to love Sandy because I think the difference between Sandy and a guy like Julio Arias is Arias was around 170-ish innings, mm-hmm. while Sandy threw about 50 more. And the Marlins relied on Sandy more. So could Sandy, if they said, if Sandy was on the Dodgers and they said, Sandy, we need your best five or six, we need you throwing 99 to 100 miles an hour, getting those strikeouts instead of trying to induce soft contact in order to keep going through the game, he would change as a pitcher. On the Marlins, he had plenty of games where he was nine innings, two earned runs, three earned runs. Like, is that better or worse than five innings, no runs, or one run? I'm going to take the guy who's going to go the entire game, don't have to rely on the bullpen. And with the Dodgers, you know, they had that slew of bullpen arms with Julio Arias. The Marlins, not as much. Their best option was Sandy in the eighth and the ninth inning, even when he was tired. That's the 
magnificence of Sandy Alcantara. I- I'm glad you said that because there's no pitcher in baseball that was asked to do more than Sandy. I mean, what you, you were looking at a decimated bullpen. You're looking at a rotation that even at points was was so brutal that they had to have bullpen games because of how, how beat up the Marlins rotation got. So they wanted to preserve that. Last thing I'll say, I got it in front of me now, 14 outings of eight innings or more. I mean, that's just in today's game is un heard of Sandy is a workhorse and he's still only 20 just turned 27 years old he was 26 this entire season Uh, he's going to be a problem for the National League East for a long time for a long time and this player as we move into offense is the ultimate problem (laughs) Shohei Otani we put him in our DH spot but really it should be the Otani spot yeah he when we were talking about who were the top five pitchers in Major League Baseball this year Shohei Otani could have been in that conversation. Mm-hmm. If we're talking about hitting, he was one of the best overall hitters in Major League Baseball this year. Give him 34 home runs, give him 11 steals. He had an 875 OPS while hitting 273. If we're talking about quality of contact, it's about as good as it gets. Shohei Otani is probably the most talented player ever to step on the diamond in baseball history. At this point, because with Babe Ruth, you had the pitching, but it didn't last very long with who else? (laughs) I mean, that's that's what we're dealing with here. And Shohei Otani can do everything on the mound, everything at the plate, while also being top five in sprint speed, top five in home to first time. He is the most well-rounded, best athlete, best player that we have seen in our sport since I have been alive. And I'd like to venture to say he's the most talented player in major league history. Absolutely. Absolutely. And here's the craziest part about it for me is, you know, we're going to focus on the offensive side because he just missed on the pitching side because of the innings. We, we wanted to prioritize the guys that put up similar numbers with more innings, but uh, when he went nuclear in the second half offensively, he was also going lights out in the second half on the mound and and to do both at the same time, you know, I, I always imagine, Oh, he might get hot on the mound and then maybe cool at the plate or, you know, the odds of doing both at the same time and kicking it in gear is just seems like it's impossible, but he continues to do the impossible and offensively in the second half, a one fifty five WRC plus a nine twenty seven OPS. He hit two ninety two, right? Like that's the one thing, the one detraction that we'll see sometimes with, Shohei is, oh, yeah, there's some swing and miss. Sure. Uh, Mike Trout has some swing and miss, too. But to hit 292, get on base at a 366 clip, and then, of course, the 561 slug, which he will always hover around the 500s in the slugging. But to see him, you know, really putting the ball in play more consistently, hitting for average down that stretch as well. I mean, this guy seemed like he really figured it out in the second half. Not that he had a bad first half, but really turned himself into one of the best hitters in the game in the second half. And then, of course, did everything he did on the mound. Uh, you, you take away the, the pitching aspect of Shohei Otani, and he's still one of the best bats in baseball and seems like he continues to get better. Uh, I mean, it was a really, really special year for him. And I, we talk about bad teams and, and really him being the whole franchise with Sandy. I mean, Shohei Otani, when Mike Trout was out, was the only reason really you'd ever watch the Angels. And we could have an entire podcast about Shohei Otani, but we have other players to talk about. Let's move into the outfield. Who is our first team right fielder? Well, it's funny because I I swear this guy could play center field with how good he is in right, but instead he's just the best defender in right field, period. And it's Mookie Betts. And Mookie Betts has got to be one of the most well-rounded players in baseball. We talk about Shohei being able to pitch and hit, but Mookie Betts, in terms of all of the things, the the traditional five-tool player, Mookie Betts has all five of those tools uh, at the, the highest of levels. He just turned 30 years old. 
and just continues to churn out good season after good season. We had that quote unquote down year uh, last year where he put up a 130 WRC plus and a 3.8 F4 bounces right back this year to hit 269, 340, 533 while playing elite defense and right 35 homers doesn't strike out. He can swipe some bags as well, but it really is just incredible watching what he does defensively. I mean, the way he's able to make plays look so easy, the way he tracks balls down, the throws that he makes. And then, oh yeah, if you're in a pinch, you can go play second base at a high level too. This guy's absolutely spectacular. And it just, it's shocking to see how many home runs he can hit because he looks like a guy that should be just spraying the ball all over. But man, he he's a menace at the plate. In my opinion, if you take out Shohei, because it's unfair, honestly, to compare any current major leaguer to Shohei Otani, I call Mookie Betts the best player in baseball. I think he's the most well-rounded. I think when the going gets tough, he rises to the occasion. And you could say, Peter, well, he actually, his stats in the playoffs weren't as good as in previous years. And what I'd argue is that he got vacuumed by Manny Machado at third base. How many hard-hit balls did Mookie Betts hit to third base where Manny Machado was making unbelievable plays? Mookie Betts, all you can ask is that he hits the ball hard and plays electric defense. And that's exactly what Mookie Mookie Betts did once again. I think the craziest part about Mookie Betts, maybe not the crazy, there are plenty of crazy things about Mookie Betts, but that was, he was a fifth rounder. Yeah, he was a fifth rounder and yeah. he can play a little bit of second base too. If you need him to, he is as perfect of a big leaguer, whether off the field to the leadership, the smile, the, the marketability on top of his production on the field. It's hard. It's hard to find a hole in Mookie Betts's game. The last thing I'll say, too, I mean, we talk about the 35 homers, right? But 91% zone contact. This guy is one of the best bat-to-ball guys in baseball. So you have an elite bat-to-ball type of player here, which, again, it seems like he should be spraying it all over. But nope, he's also launching homers. Uh, It's just a crazy combination. If you go by, you know, power combined with bat-to-ball zone contact, there's very few in the game better than Mookie Betts, and it just seems like he's going to be able to do this for a long, long, long time, and I think when it's all said and done, you know, we'll be looking at Mookie Betts in Cooperstown. We sort of cheated in center field, but we didn't really because really. Aaron Judge of the New York Yankees played 70-plus games in center field and is our first-team center fielder. What a season. One of the best seasons in MLB history on the offensive side, if you take out steroids, if you do take out steroids, like the Barry Bonds seasons, you know, those Sammy Sosa, Mark McGuire, 62 home runs that may never get there ever again in Major League Baseball. It could, but it hasn't happened since Roger Maris in the American League where he hit 61 home runs. But I think the amazing part of Aaron Judge is that the home runs are the sexy aspect of it, right? But he is almost as well-rounded as a Mookie Betts at this point. If you're talking about play in right field, he was in the 82nd percentile of outs above average. He has one of the best arms I've ever seen with my own two eyes, 93rd percentile in arm strength. I think that number is wrong. I think it should be in the 99th percentile if you actually asked him to pull down on it. I was going to say, if if he cut loose, absolutely. He looks like he's just tossing him in, and it's a one-hop to third from, from the wall in right field. It looks like he's just flicking it into the infield. 
for being six foot seven, two hundred eighty-two pounds, he is the smoothest big man we've ever seen in baseball. The guy also hit three eleven. He was vying for the triple crown with one hundred and thirty-one RBIs. That's how good of an overall hitter Aaron Judge is. Also getting on base at a four twenty-five clip. And how about adding sixteen stolen yeah. bases? But he is not the fastest player on the field. He's just one of the smartest. He's able to take bags with the best of them. He has a, he's in the 50th percentile in sprint speed. So that's how you know that on the base pass, he's one of the best smartest runners. The only hole that you can point in Aaron Judge's game is the swing and miss. But nobody's perfect, right? Maybe nobody's perfect except Mookie Betts. Yeah. And when you hit 62 home runs, you hit 311, you get on base 42% of the time, I'll take the strikeouts. Aaron Judge is about to get a bag. Yeah. Oh, yeah, he is. And, and here's the thing with the strikeouts is I always look at more important than just the pure strikeout rate is is the walks to strikeouts, right? Like the BB to K ratio here. And this was by far the best in that department for him this season. A 0.63 BB to K ratios is by far. He's at about a 0.52 for his career. So it's just walks divided by strikeouts. Way up from his career numbers. And, and that's including this season, which jumped up his career numbers entering this year. He was below 0.5. So, I mean, we see the strikeout rate probably going to stick at around 25% his whole career, but upping the walks, seeing the strikeout rate remain stagnant and then doing what he did production wise, his quality of contact is so good. He's taken the free passes that he's going to be a high average guy the rest of the way, even with the swing and miss similar to a Mike trout, uh, I mean, this was this was a magnificent, magnificent season. It, there's no other way around it. We've talked about it all year long. And, and I mean, not only is he the first team center fielder, he actually made a majority of his starts in center field, which is crazy. And the way he covers ground out there is is remarkable, given how big he is. Like you mentioned, uh, this guy is I can't wait to see how much money he gets. I really can. I know you're nervous uh, in regards to where he's going to be. I assume he stays in the Bronx, obviously, but. I'm so curious what this contract's going to look like because, like you said, we've never really seen a season like this in a while, and we've definitely never seen a contract season like this. And that's a conversation for the offseason. I am a little bit nervous and sensitive about that subject right now. I needed to breathe a little bit. Um, just, you know, a lot of people I saw that Aaron Judge unfollowed the Yankees on Instagram or something, and that was some big news. Just so you all know, he never followed the Yankees. So <laughs> yeah. nip that one in the butt. But let's talk about left field because it might be the second best hitter in baseball. I mean, Jordan Alvarez, trying to get this guy out is nearly impossible. If you're a lefty, he's going to crush you. If you're a righty, he's going to crush you. If you throw a fastball, he's going to hit it. If you throw a breaking ball, he will also hit it. High leverage, he will rise to the occasion. Jordan Alvarez is one of the most well-rounded hitters in the game, and we saw it this year. 185 WRC plus. He slashed 306, 406, 613. It's a 6.6 F4, 37 home runs. And that's like basically all offensive boosting the F4 there. But the 37 home runs with a 19% strikeout rate while walking 14% of the time, it's just absurd uh, what this guy's able to do. And, and still so young at 25 years old, he's only going to get better and better. And it just seems like it's impossible to get this guy out. It really does. And even I know he slowed down a little bit in spots in the postseason, but it seems like he's impervious to a prolonged slump because of how talented he is. I think the most amazing part about Jordan Alvarez is I always say the most amazing when there's so many amazing things that you can say to these guys. But I guess the thing that jumps out to me the most is his ability to hit breaking pitches. 
his ability to hit off-speed pitches. If we're talking about how he performed this year, he hit 305 against breaking balls, 346 against off-speed. So the idea is against Jordan, well, you can't throw him a fastball, right? Because he's going to hit it to the freaking moon. So we got to spin him to death. You can't, and you can't get him to chase either. So he is as impossible of an out. Like with, you know, with Aaron Judge, right? He has been susceptible to the low and away slider, right? Because, you know, he chases and he whiffs. And if you make a mistake, Aaron Judge is going to hit it to the moon. There is none of that for Jordan. He's as as complete of a hitter as we have in our game. And it's just crazy that he was traded from the Los Angeles Dodgers of Hmm. all team for Josh Fields. They had no idea what they had, man. Even the Dodgers, no team's perfect. No team's perfect. They had no idea what they had. And you talk about the ability to hit the breaking balls. What what stands out to me, that of course does big time. Another thing that really stands out to me is you look at a big, powerful left-handed hitter and you're like, oh man, that guy must struggle a little bit with lefties. Nope. This past season, and it's pretty much been this way his whole career, 183 WRC plus against lefties. 186 WRC plus against righties. It, there's no platoon splits. There's a, there's nothing. Y- y- bringing in the lefty for Jordan doesn't matter. It, it doesn't, doesn't matter. matter. You might as well just throw your best pitcher and pray. Uh, yeah. That's the way it is. And we saw that with Robbie Ray. <laughs> he has one blue zone. It's up. It's up in the middle of the zone with like 98. So if you can perfectly locate that, yeah. but you can't throw it and, more than once because and then he's not catch on and on it. hit it to the moon. And hope he's not sitting on it because even though it's a blue zone, if he knows you're going up there, he'll get there. Uh, and he's and- going to know that it's going to happen in the World Series, too. I bet he's ready. If he takes away the one blue zone, it's over. It's over. And, and here's the thing. He takes that first strike. Do it again. <laughs> like That's the thing with uh, bring it, bring up Mike Trout again because that's kind of the, the, the picture of a power hitter. That's a blue zone for Trout, man. But he doesn't chase at the top of the zone and he'll dare you to locate it there three times. You tug it down a few inches. See ya. Moving on to shortstop. This one was a tough one. There was a yeah. lot of good shortstops this year, but the leader in F4, the defense just was at another level. Even mm-hmm. though Dansby Swanson had a great year on defense, I think everyone knows that Francisco Lindor might be the best defender in the entire sport, and he had a great year offensively. So Francisco Lindor is our first team shortstop. How about 26 jacks, 107 RBIs, almost stole 20 bases with 16. He had a 788 OPS because he doesn't walk that much, but he still hit 270. Francisco Lindor doesn't strike out. He walks enough, even though it dropped off from last year. But he was more aggressive this year. He needed to be a run producer for the New York Mets. Yeah. And he was the ultimate run producer. Another guy where it's really hard to get him out. In 2021, when he struggled a little bit, he couldn't really hit the breaking ball. He was a little bit worse on off-speed. But this year, changed all of that. He was actually the best off off off-speed pitches. He was great off breaking balls. And of course, he crushed fastballs. This is another guy similar to Mookie Betts where there really is no hole in his game. He's probably the most well-rounded shortstop that we have. Like There are a number of shortstops that are all great, but they all have their weaknesses. I don't know what Francisco Lindor's weakness is, and I do think, based on F-War, he had the best overall season at the shortstop position. 
I mean, you look at what he does defensively in terms of the plays he's capable of as a great athlete with a great arm. I mean, we, we can look at all the highlight real plays, but the instincts are what really stand out to me. I mean, this guy seems like he always knows where to be. He always has you know, the right first step. He's always making the plays that seem really difficult to make. And he's even got pitch calm in his ear, right? Like he's such a heady player on defense that he wants to hear pitch calm so that he can kind of align himself based on that. And Buck Showalter kind of lets him go free reign. I know we have a lot of shifting in today's game, which is going to be, you know, reined in a little bit, but with Lindor, it was, I really do believe that he was kind of on his own with, with positioning because they trust him like that. And and I would trust him. This guy is one of the smartest baseball players you're going to find on the offensive side. You mentioned the driving and runs RBIs. You know, that's typically a stat that we attribute to being out of the control of the hitter. But I, I think in this instance, and I've talked to a lot of players about this and they think they've all kind of told me, you got to look at it in an individual case by case basis. Lindor, like you said, was asked to drive in runs for the Mets. That was the role that he had to really lean into. And he did really well. He drove in 107 runs this year. This is a guy that, that usually is leading things off. Usually is the tone setter to drive in 107 runs is really impressive. We saw the home runs. We saw the bat to ball. We saw a little bit of everything. I, I The one thing would be walking a little bit more, but that's not really part of his game. He likes to be aggressive, put the ball in play and put the pressure on the defense. And it worked for him all year. And I mean, he, he's one of the best defenders, period, in Major League Baseball. He wasn't asked to walk. And even though he wasn't asked to walk, he still walked enough, right? 8% got on base at a 340, 339 clip. That's plenty. Um, Francisco Lindor is still one of the best overall players in baseball. I think this next position at third base. This was the toughest. Is the toughest. So who'd we go with? Man, this was the one that we delayed the start of the episode for a little bit at third base because it was so darn close between we had Manny Machado and then Nolan Arenado. Ultimately, our first team third baseman is Nolan Arenado. And really what, what put Arenado over the top, we, we saw what he did offensively this year and proving that he can hit outside of cores uh, even more so. But how about the fact that he just was one of the best defenders again, period? It was Arenado and Lindor. I mean, I, I just imagine what they would do on the left side of the infield together if they were ever teammates. It would be it would be a joke. Uh, it would be a Babbitt nightmare over there. But Arenado's offense, I mean, what he did this year was was right there with Machado, one off in the WRC plus department. But the, the thing is, is doing what he did away from course, kind of proving to everybody that he can do this. We saw the 34 home runs last year, but that came at expense of getting on base, right? A 312 on base percentage last year. He got on base at a 358 clip this year. And Arenado looked like that complete hitter again. The 30 pumps, only striking out 11% of the time. 293, 358, 533 slash line. So we see the power still there. We see the contact rates go up. And then we see the strikeout rate drop, walk rate jump. Like this was... As ideal of an offensive season as you could see from Arenado, he put it all together this year, and the defense has not tapered off whatsoever. This guy was a vacuum at third base, as he always has been. Uh, one of the most well-rounded seasons I think we've seen from Arenado, period. We know WRC Plus is park-adjusted, so that's always going to knock the cores guys, but this is the highest WRC Plus of his career at 151 by a pretty good margin. 
and him and Manny Machado were so, so close on offense. But what really took Arenado over the top, like you mentioned, was the defense. Mm-hmm. If you're looking at defensive run saved, you're looking at outs above average, you're looking at defensive war, Nolan Arenado has the advantage. It's not by a ton, but in its a couple of categories, he takes the leap. And if we're looking on offense, we're looking at consistency. Since 2015, so in the last seven seasons, if you take out 2020, he's 30 home runs, 100 RBIs, and that has not dropped off from Coors Field. In two seasons with the Cardinals, 30 jacks, 100 RBIs, and close to a 300 batting average, hit 293 this year, 891 OPS. You know what you're going to get from Nolan Arenado year in, year out. What more could you ask from a guy, right? I mean, really, besides the... COVID shortened 2020 season. This was the lowest strikeout rate of Arenado's career by by a pretty fair margin, three percent lower than his you know career average, which is still spectacular at 14.6 percent. So it seems like something really clicked for Arenado on the consistency side, uh, on the bat to ball side. We know at Coors Field, beyond the fact that the ball flies, the reason why guys hit for more averages are so much space for balls to, to just land, right? And, and doubles and singles. And that's the one thing Jeff Cohen, I know he's talked about with us is like, it wasn't about the home runs for me is I could hit one off the end, a pop-up with a, you know, that would normally be caught. Guys are playing so deep, it falls in. Arenado kind of struggled with that average department last year and just the consistency side. And now we just saw it kind of all come together for him this year. If he starts hitting like this the rest of the way with his Cardinals career and, and is able to duplicate this, I mean, I already think he's a Hall of Famer, but talk about first ballot with ease. If he continues to do what he did, it seems like he's getting better and better as a hitter. The fourth best hitter in baseball by WRC plus is five foot six, (laughs) 166 pounds. And his name is Jose Altuve. What a season. Once again, similar to Arenado, similar to our first baseman year in year out. You know what you're going to get from Altuve. Altuve used to be 15 to 20 home runs, stealing 40, 50 bags, 30 bags a season. But then what we saw in 2019 was the power come into play. Hit Mm -hmm. 31 home runs and only stole six bases. He still hit 298. So All the offense was there, but he sacrificed running a little bit. Then you move forward into 2021. Again, 31 home runs, five stolen bases, but he only hit 278. So he's kind of just figuring out who Jose Altuve is, even though we know how good he is. And like the second phase, you know, yeah. The second phase of Jose Altuve, that's a great way to put it. And then this year was the ultimate second phase. Had those 28 home runs, but then went back to running 18 stolen bases. He hit 300 again. He had an OPS at 920. Jose Altuve defending at second base is also great. The one hole you can point in his game is the throwing arm, but he's so quick with it that it doesn't really matter. And he's at second base. Jose Altuve is simply one of the best players in Major League Baseball and is on track to be a Hall of Famer. Yep. I mean, Oh, you you set the stage perfectly, and this is somebody now that's respected, especially at home with that with the Crawford boxes, and he leans into that really well, and, and with how good of a hitter he is. But this is a guy that can can leave any yard. He's got power that just doesn't make sense. It's it's really frame defying. But what I've seen now too is is a guy that is leaning into that more, being more patient, being more selective. Hey, I'm not the the fastest guy in the world anymore. I'm not you know nearly as as quick as I once was. 
hey, I can still be opportunistic with my stolen bases, as you mentioned, stealing 18 on 19 tries this year, which is spectacular after hardly stealing them over the last couple of years, being banged up didn't help. But also now his teams respect his power with the now 58 home or 59 home runs, excuse me, over the last two seasons, being more selective at the plate, not expanding the zone. First time we saw him walk at a double digit percentage, 11% walk rate this year is really going to boost that on base percentage. And that's why we saw him get on base at a 387 clip. I mean, that's one of the best figures of his career, aside from those unbelievable seasons he had at age 25, 26. Uh, I think we had we saw a 396 on base and a 410. This would be the second or the third best of his career right here. So, I mean, Altuve is not showing any signs of slowing down. It's kind of adjusted in this second phase of his career. And this was the best season he's put up F4-wise since 2017. Uh, this guy's not slowing down at all. Not slowing down at all. Another guy who's not slowing down at all is our first baseman. And in, in potentially the MVP out of the National League. It's, it's Paul Goldschmidt. And it's amazing that Paul Goldschmidt was good enough for Freddie Freeman not to be the first team first baseman, right? Because Freddie Freeman had a spectacular season, but it's impossible to put anybody ahead of Paul Goldschmidt. He's one of the best hitters, period, this year. 317, 404, 578 slash line for the Cardinals this year. 35 home runs, a 7.1 F4, and a 177 WRC+. Goldschmidt walked. He didn't strike out too much. The power was there. The bat to ball was there. He was another guy that at some points we were talking triple crown, right? He was he was in the conversation there too. That slowed down a little bit into the end, and we saw that spill into the playoffs for the two games that he played. But what he did this year was incredible. This was arguably the best season of his career at age 34. I, I love seeing this. This is just really talented hitters having it come together mentally, uh, you know, kind of figuring things out as they have 10 plus years under their belt. And, and still having the physical capabilities to maximize that knowledge, Goldschmidt looked as good as ever in 2022. The only thing I can add, because you added everything on the offensive side, how about defensive side? He was a Gold Glove Award finalist. Will he win it? I'm not totally sure. Pretty sure that Christian Walker should win it based on the numbers, but I don't think any of us would be shocked if Paul Goldschmidt won. And he's one of those finalists that at this day and age, like, if they gave it to Paul Goldschmidt, I'm not saying, oh, come on. Like, it should have been Christian Walker. Goldschmidt, you could argue, deserves it every year. That's why he's so valuable, right? This is where these well-rounded baseball players, year in, year out, they almost get underrated on yeah. when we say top 10 lists, where it's like, would you put Paul Goldschmidt as a top five player? I know that Nolan Arenado said that Paul Goldschmidt is the best player that he's ever played with. And he hasn't played with him that long at age 33, 34 years old for Goldschmidt. Like, is Paul Goldschmidt, year in and year out, we know we're getting 35 jacks. We know he's hitting 300. We know he's even going to steal some bases. And we know he's going to be one of the best defenders at his position. Like, how is that not a top 10 overall want? player in baseball? <laughs> What more do you want? You know, what more do you want? It's just because he's a first baseman, really. I think that's that's the one thing that that quote unquote docks him a little bit. But I mean, yeah, he's doing everything you could want from a baseball player. And it's amazing to see him having this this career year in a lot of ways at age 34. You wonder, you know, what's next year going to look like. And, and if he continues to do this, we're going to look at his career, you know, maybe four or five years from now and be like, holy crap. Paul Goldschmidt did that? Like, I agree. I think he's one of those guys that being in Arizona for so long, also being so consistent, we become a little bit numb to how good this guy is. 
I think we became slightly numb to our catcher. Yeah. And I think at this point, it's undeniable he's mm-hmm. the best catcher in baseball. Yep. This season really established that for JT Real Muto. What doesn't JT Real Muto do? It's kind of a common theme of this episode. These are the most well-rounded baseball players in the game, and JT Real Muto exemplifies that. 22 bombs. 21 stolen bases from a catcher. Yeah. 820 OPS. He walked, hit for average, he slugged. He has the best overall pop time in baseball. He's a well above average framer, top 10 in all the metrics. What doesn't J2 Ramuto do? And when I was writing my betting preview, I was looking at all the Phillies pitching stats. While they might not have the most sparkling names outside of Wheeler and Nola, JT Ramuto affects the game more than what the stat sheet will tell you. When we were talking about Aaron Nola last year, what was his problem, right? It was command within the middle of the zone. That was what JT Ramuto told us. And JT Ramuto, I'm sure in bullpen sessions with Aaron Nola, was working with him daily in order to improve that. And then we saw the ultimate Aaron Nola, Zach Wheeler, all these bullpen guys. I bet if you ask them what is one of the biggest reasons that they're in, in this spot, they would say JT Ramuto, and he's mm-hmm. one of the best offensive catchers, and he's got 21 bags. What doesn't JT <laughs> Ramuto do? And the craziest part, so the 20 bags are something he wanted this year, and to be the first catcher since Pudge Rodriguez in 1999 to go 20-20, which is unbelievable. And it wasn't like he tried 40 times. like He was efficient on the base paths as well. But how about the second half we saw from JT? He was shaky in the first half for his standards, 103 WRC plus in the first half. Second half, slash 307, 367, 583. That's a 162 WRC plus and a 949 OPS on top of the defense and everything else that he brings to the table. I mean, to do what he did in the second half, the Phillies are not where they are without JT. Of course, you could say that with a couple other guys on that team, uh, given the pitchers you mentioned, and of course, Bryce Harper. But JT is as important as anybody on that team. Uh, And you you illustrated beautifully what he does in terms of calling a game, receiving, his ability to limit the running game. But what he did offensively in the second half, too, was not only be the best offensive catcher in the game, but be one of the better hitters in the game in the second half and just really put that Phillies team over the top alongside Bryce Harper and some of the other guys. But it was just awesome to watch him in the second half. It's been awesome to watch him in the playoffs. And this is a player that, of course, I I have really a little bit of a bias towards because he came up with the Marlins. I always felt like he was underrated as the Marlins catcher. I always thought he was one of the best catchers in baseball. And now doing it with the Phillies, he has really solidified himself as the best catcher in baseball. And the only guy that I think has a chance to catch him is Adley. And I think he ultimately will as JT tapers off. But I think as JT showed, it's going to take Adley a few years or a nuclear kind of season to dethrone JT as the best catcher in baseball. And Will Smith still has, you know, a title there as an incredible hitter, but he just can't defend like Real Muto can. Doesn't have the arm he does, doesn't can't receive the ball like he does. I don't think he has that same relationship. And it's because, and it's not all Will Smith's fault. Will Smith is still young while JT Ramuto is 31 years old. He's been there, done that, and we can't wait to see him in the World Series. That'll do it for the just baseball first team. Just to recap. On the relief pitcher side, we have Ryan Helsley, Emmanuel Classe, and Edwin Diaz. Starting pitchers, it's Alec Manoa, Dylan Cease, Julio Arias, Justin Verlander, and Sandy Alcantara. 
We at DH or we have Shohei Otani in the outfield. Mookie Betts, Aaron Judge, Jordan Alvarez, shortstop Francisco Lindor, third base Nolan Arenado, second base Jose Altuve, first base Paul Goldschmidt, and at catcher JT Real Muto. Remember to use code October fifteen. Best way to support this podcast is to get yourself some merch. We are still live with Manscaped. If you guys want to use twenty percent off, use code JB Show. Treat your balls right. <laughs> Treat your balls, people. Why not? Why not us? It's getting to the holiday season. If all the ladies listening to this podcast, I think it's a great present for your boyfriends. Why not us, right? Ellie, arms, girlfriend, if you're listening, great Uh, present for them. But I think he already has some. Thanks to our friends. Thank you to Manscaped. They did send me some, but I'm probably going to go through it quickly. I'll be honest. I was probably going to go through it quickly. The ball deodorant, the ball toner. It's it's enough set. Enough set. So make sure you use those codes. Of course, we'll be back on Monday for a recap of Game 1 and Game 2. And with that, thank you, everybody. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.